is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. You know, I think that the most exhilarating and exciting concert I attended this season was the Rachmaninoff Piano Concerti and the Paganini Variations, performed in one night with five different brilliant pianists and all delivered to us with the innovative strength of conductor Karen Hakobian of Pegasus, the orchestra. I was jubilant that night at Lincoln Center. I have watched Pegasus develop their unyielding vision, and now they are back for their final concert of the season, and this time they have partnered with the brilliance of pianist and Honen's competition winner, Nicholas Namaratza. The concert is May 5th at Merkin Hall in New York City. This is a commemoration of the music of Rachmaninoff and Scriabin on their 150th anniversary. And Nicholas will be performing the rarely heard Scriabin Concerto in F-sharp minor, Opus 20. And he will also offer his own arrangement of the slow movement of Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 2. Plus, the Mendelssohn Symphony No. 4 will be on the program with Pegasus, the orchestra, another stellar evening for them. Well, I have today with me Wunderkind pianist Nicholas Namaratza with me right now on center stage. So, Nicholas, thank you for being with me. It is always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Pam, for having me back. It's always uh, so great to talk to you. And uh, hello to your audience. Oh, thank you so much. Well, listen, talk to me about the journey you are on with Pegasus and conductor Karen Hokobian right now, because I know you two are really rich collaborators. Yes, indeed. And in fact, we were supposed to have a concert together a couple of years ago, and that was just as the pandemic was kicking in. So it was something I had been so looking forward to because Pegasus was this up-and-coming ensemble comprised of so many of my friends and colleagues that I had great admiration for. And I had been hearing wonderful things about the energy and pizzazz of this ensemble. Mm, yeah. uh, yet, of course, the concert didn't happen. And that is incredibly unfortunate. I had performed in a series of solo piano recitals and chamber music that Pegasus was presenting at Mana Contemporary in Jersey City, but I had not yet collaborated with the orchestra itself. So this will actually be the first time that I shall be playing with the orchestra, and it's something I am so looking forward to. I have great admiration for what they're doing and what Karen has been doing with the orchestra and the direction he has been taking this new ensemble in. So... I'm really glad to be joining for the journey and the ride, so to say. I think our audience will be very excited to have you playing. I mean, I've had you on my show now, I think, three times. And right. we're always talking about your brilliant career, your eminent mind, which is always working with science and <laughs> meditation and music, which I find really, really fascinating. How is the Idagio show going that you have premiered? Well, it's been going great. Uh, our engagement has been really fantastic on the recorded content, and there's been a lot of enthusiasm for us to expand. 
So we are now working on a number of live courses that are forthcoming. So stay tuned for news on that. I will update you when we have more information in due course. That's very exciting. Okay, well, watch for that, Nicholas. <laughs> now, tell me about your personal relationship to the Scriabin Piano Concerto. Well, I have an interesting personal relationship to Scriabin because um, when people ask me the oft-dreaded question, what is your favorite, you know, what is your favorite music or <laughs> who is your favorite composer? Yeah. I do have an answer for it. I like to say Bach is always number one, but most of the time Scriabin comes a close second. Wow. So Scriabin has been something that has been very close to my heart. His music has been always very close to my heart. And it's been a kind of musical territory I've always felt very comfortable in. Now, the piano concerto has a very unusual story because even though Scriabin himself is a very popular composer among pianists and his solo music is played quite often, his piano concerto is very rarely heard or played. Hmm. And that is because the piece actually has a rather unusual story. The premiere of the work which Scriabin gave himself was very badly received by critics. It was really panned as being ineffective. The piano writing was criticized. The orchestral writing was criticized. Clearly things didn't go too well. Yet in all subsequent performances of the concerto, critics absolutely were raving about it. They oh. loved it. And audiences loved it too. After Scriabin passed away and the concerto continued to be played, the reviews became more like what they had been at the very beginning, not terribly enthusiastic. Hmm. So the question is, what happened? Mm -hmm. And we had to do a bit of detective work. <laughs> what we know from all of Scriabin's contemporaries and contemporary accounts of his performing in concert is that Scriabin always departed from what he had written on the page. No matter what he was playing of his own music, he was always changing things. Ah. As a rule, and we also have some recordings of Scriabin playing his own music, and they also all depart from the printed page. So Scriabin was constantly in a process of revising and changing what he had written in performance. Yet, unlike some other more studious and organized composers, Scriabin never wrote down what those changes were. <laughs> so the score we have of the Scriabin concerto is only the very first version of it, which was not terribly well received. And Scriabin, we know, must have taken the critiques and criticisms of the piece and somehow corrected for them in subsequent performances of the piece. So we have to try to figure out what did Scriabin do to turn the piece into one that didn't work so well in front of listeners to one that absolutely made the listeners fall in love with it. So uh, Karen and I have been doing a lot of detective work, looking at different sources, different editions, uh, looking at other contemporaries of Scriabin who did perform or record this and who might have heard Scriabin play it and what they are doing that might be from what they would have known Scriabin to do. There's a lot of scholarly work involved here, and I've really had to try to get into Scriabin's head in some way and mm -hmm. try to think like he would. So in many ways... This piece, more than any other work of Scriabin's that I've played, has brought me closer to the composer because I've had to engage more intimately with his own thought process 
than I would have in other works that in some sense were more fully baked. Here I, I had to finish the baking in some way, <laughs> and, and that required going back in time somehow and trying to reconstruct what he would have done back in the day. I love this. So you are Sherlock Holmes and a chef. I love this. You're, you're baking yes. this. How much of Nicholas <laughs> Namaratza is going to be in this Scriabin? Well, the thing is that, first of all, I am not the first to do this. There are some other pianists who have kind of treaded the same path in some ways. Um, Scriabin's son-in-law, Vladimir Sofronitsky, one of the most acclaimed interpreters of Scraven's work, never recorded it as far as we know, but there is an edition that has his commentary and markings, and they are very extensive, and they depart from Scraven's original score in quite radical ways many of the times. Mm. Uh, closer to today, there is one pianist who performs this piece a lot, uh, Mikhail Tsetnov, who also largely rewrites a lot of the piece. Mm-hmm. So... I approach it as honestly as I can in terms of how true I can be to what I think Scriabin's intentions would be. But of course, that is going to be my own perspective. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to insert my personality into it, but naturally and automatically my personality is going to be there because it is my viewpoint Mm -hmm. on what Scriabin would have done. And that is, of course, different from what any other person's viewpoint would be. And that in itself is thrilling. I'm speaking yes, to, to Nicholas Namaratza right now about his per, upcoming performance of the Scriabin Piano Concerto on May 5th with Pegasus, the orchestra. Now, I understand that Scriabin and Rachmaninoff were quite friendly. Uh, yes, they were, and... Um, they were close contemporaries. So this year we are celebrating Rachmaninoff's 150th anniversary, um, the 150th anniversary of his birth, and last year we celebrated Scriabin's. Um, but Scriabin died uh, quite a bit earlier than Rachmaninoff did, and interestingly, in the year after Scriabin's death, Rachmaninoff almost always only played Scriabin in his solo program mm. to honor his close friend, contemporary, colleague, and even in some ways rival. I mean, they Mm -hmm. grew up together in some ways through the musical system, and they had many of the same teachers, and they influenced each other's development. So there was a very interesting symbiotic, synergetic relationship Mm -hmm. between the two, musically speaking. And it's interesting to note what parallels there are, in what ways they diverged, Scriabin's style, for example, towards the end of his life, turns too much more experimental and atonal, abstract territories and areas, uh, territories that, that Rachmaninoff never got to, mm-hmm. even, even decades after Scriabin's death. So Rachmaninoff was in, in many ways much more conservative than Scriabin from a musical standpoint. Yes. So, yes. It's, so it's interesting to note these similarities and differences, but... Uh, uh, you know, at this concert on May 5th uh, at, at the Kaufman Center at Merkin Hall in New York, uh, Pegasus, uh, Karen, and I are really trying to explore this relationship. So that is why we have programmed some Rachmaninoff along with Scriabin at the concert. And this is exciting that this is your own arrangement of the Rachmaninoff Symphony, it, it, the slow movement. 
Yes, yeah. It's 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 fantastic that that Pegasus has put together such a program mm. where there is actually some solo piano music as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great innovation in orchestral programs to present the soloist in more than one way, in more than one facet, so mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Because of course, in, in more standard programs, you'll just have a concerto, you know, a piece for piano and orchestra, and that's it. But by also adding a solo segment, you get to engage with the soloist perspective absolutely. In, in more ways. Yes. Yeah, and very so intimately. Is, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm so thrilled that, you know, uh, we could put a program together like this and that Karen and Pegasus have the audacity to <laughs> really experiment with, with the standard concert program and look for new ways to present this music to audiences and to stimulate the listeners' imaginations. Absolutely. So yes, I, I shall be presenting a work that is originally for a full orchestra, but it shall be presented on just the piano. Excellent. On, you know, you know, in, in a solo piano setting. And what I really tried to do there was try to imagine how Rachmaninoff might have written this piece if he were writing it Absolutely. as a solo piano work. And, you know, I want to invite all our listeners right now, Nicholas Namaradza, um, we have to come out and support this orchestra. Pegasus, the orchestra, with Nico performing. It will be May 5th at Merkin Hall in New York City. Tickets are available at the KaufmannMusicCenter.org. And be sure to check out websites at PegasusTheOrchestra.org and NicholasNamaratza.com. Nico, I have to thank you for being on center stage again. It has been a delight and all the very best to you. Thank you so much. It's always great to talk to you, and I hope to see many of your listeners at the concert. We are going to have such a great time. It will be a lot of fun. You bet. Thank you so much. Connecticut Ballet has survived the challenges of COVID and still remains the superb dance company that it has been since its formation in 1981. Artistic director and founder Brett Raphael is no stranger to center stage. And he is back with us this morning as we discuss the upcoming performances of Coppelia. This is a revival of Brett's 2010 production of this beloved ballet, and this year features new sets and costumes. Well, we have much to speak about today with Brett Raphael, and also as our guest, he presents dancers Nicole Fedorov and Carla Hernandez. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to Center Stage. Hello. Great Happy to, have to be you, back. Brett. Yeah. And, you know, Brett, you're the premier dance company of Connecticut State. You've never faltered on your mission statement and your integrity to the area. But how has this year and season been different for Connecticut Ballet? Well, it's our comeback, of course, from COVID. We were closed for quite a while. Um, and three years ago this spring, we canceled Capella. This was to be this was supposed to happen in 2020. So three years later, we're pulling it off and we're doing performance at the Palace in Stamford and also at the Bushnell in Hartford. We have two shows and it's a delightful ballet that that has been very successful for us in the past. Next to the Nutcracker, it's the most popular ballet we have. So we're so excited to bring it back. And it's been 13 years. So it's time to come out and enjoy the ballet it's springtime and it's, it's a great opportunity to introduce children to the ballet and for some people it's their their favorite ballet of all time i can imagine so. and such memorable tunes and such a great story again 
Um, so who do we have here in the dancers to speak about their part in Coppelia? Nicole, would you would you like to start off? What what this ballet means to you? Um, Coppelia was the first full-length ballet that I danced, and I danced it for the first time last year here um, at the Connecticut Ballet School. And it's very special for me because you get to build this arc with the character um, who's at first a young girl and she's she's jealous of her fiance who's flirting with the doll. And then in the second act, you kind of become this hooligan that destroys all the toys in the workshop and kind of fights for, for her love for Franz. And then in the third act is the wedding. And so you're kind of more feminine and more mature and you get to carry the audience through the arc of the story. That's beautiful. So it's a real evolution of a young woman's life. And those pesky fiancés, you know, they always go after the dolls. It's it's incredible. Um, <laughs> and Carla, Carla, I understand that you are are dancing too in the lead role. I think you two, you both are sharing this role yes. in various performances. So Carla, wh where are you from, first of all, Carla? I'm from Venezuela. Oh, fantastic. See, this is one of the things I love about Connecticut Ballet, all, always with diversity, but favoring dancers from uh, um, Cuba and South America, and of course, our Russian and Ukraine. I mean, it's a, it's a marvelous thing to be involved with Connecticut Ballet in that way. So Carla, how does Coppelia speak to you? Well, I'm really excited because I also was supposed to do it three years ago. Oh. And I rehearsed for one week and then everything got canceled. So I am really excited to finally get to do it, to rehearse it. It's been so, it's been so fun, especially that second ad that Nicole, Nicole was talking about that we can play, destroy. It's really fun to get to be something else, mm -hmm. be a doll, <clears throat> uh, be in love, you know, and get, get the audience to feel that too. And how demanding is this part for you as a soloist? How demanding is it? Well, they're on stage practically the entire time. <laughs> That's pretty demanding. Yeah, it's a lot of energy. That's fantastic. How long have you both been with Connecticut Ballet? Well, I've been, I got here in 2020 for the first time, and then we couldn't do anything until 20, early 2021, like a digital season. So, yeah, two years. And Nicole? Um, I worked here for the first time in 2016, and then I kind of went away and did other projects. And then actually during COVID, I came back because of the digital programs, because Connecticut Ballet was one of the only companies that was still trying to give dancers work. And then I kind of stayed, and here I am. <laughs> Isn't that something that, that Brett never gave up? I mean, there there is a tenacity about Brett Raphael that is legendary in this area, of course, to all of us who know him. How how many hearts were broken as dancers, you know, during COVID? I mean, I can only imagine, you know, I'm a singer and I know that overnight the music stopped at the beginning of COVID. But, but for dancers, did you just think you could all, you know, carry on initially? It was definitely heartbreaking to have to stop, but I think it changed my mind a lot about a lot of things when I came back. 
like a lot of things that I took for granted or yeah. was kind of negative about or you know would complain a lot um about certain small things when I came back it was just <laughs> I felt so grateful to be on stage and now every time kind of before I dance I feel like that gratitude of just being able to do it again I can imagine as we all have as we all have and I'm sure Carla that you echo that sentiment especially having been deprived of dancing, you know, in Coppelia several years ago. Yeah, t having something taken away that that you're that passionate about, you mm -hmm. you know, it's a life-changing experience. So we're all very grateful to be back and on the big stage. <laughs> and and now you girls are feeling the burn to get out and, and be the prima ballerinas that, that you are. We're we're excited. So um how 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 do we get tickets for this, Brett? And when are the performances? We're coming to the palace on Sunday, May 7. We have a two o'clock family matinee. And again, I want to underline this is the penultimate ballet to bring children to other than the Nutcracker. This mm -hmm. will excite. This was the first ballet I, I ever saw. And it obviously had a life-changing experience uh, effect on me. Um, so tickets are available at the Palace box office in person, or you can call 203-325-4466, or you go to palacestamford.org. And if you want to venture up to the Bushnell, tickets are available at the Mighty Bushnell up on May 20th and 21st at bushnell.org. Both <laughs> fabulous theaters and the production is going to be uh, spectacular. We're, we're excited with the costumes, the sets. We have many children in the production. Um, the t this takes place in an area of old Europe called Prussia. So you're sort of sitting back and watching an older time, an earlier time, a simpler time when humor was, a, you know, it was just fresh. And the mad doctor, Dr. Capellius, gives everybody a chuckle, <laughs> as he should. So there's a lot of humor in this piece. I mean, when do you get to see a ballerina put, putting her fists and banging on the back of, you know, Mad Doctor and I love it. Um, getting getting her comeuppance, you know, getting his comeuppance. It's just a fun piece. A lot of a lot of frolic and childlike um, atmosphere and then some wonderful classical dancing at the end. Absolutely top notch. It sounds magical. It sounds so. I presume that at the end of each performance, um, everyone will have a chance to meet the dancers involved. Exactly. We have a tradition called meet and greet in the lobby, and the principal dancers will be there. And you can bring your program, and we can do selfies, and it's quite inspiring. If you have ballet slippers, you can bring your slippers, and the dancers mm -hmm. will autograph. And those are formative experiences. I remember yeah. when I was 10 and went backstage to get the stars to sign. It's just magical. So that's a huge part of our outreach effort in the community. So please bring the children, bring the grandchildren, the cousins and so forth. They're, they're not gonna forget it. And that is essential for the future of dance, isn't it? Yes, definitely. So it's not just dance students. All children will be enthralled by this piece and adults. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're looking forward. Now, this isn't the end, though. The, we still have to look forward to Dancing Under the Stars, which I believe is taking place this summer. 
Right. We're going to be back out in the parks and the venues around Connecticut. And both of these dancers will be joining us again. And we'll be doing Ballet Under the Stars. And we'll be coming to Stamford, Westport, up in Hartford, around the state, and Middletown, and so forth. You can, you can get that information when it's available. Not quite, but soon. It will be posted on ConnecticutBallet.org. And that's all free. <laughs> you can bring have... a picnic and come out and enjoy yeah. the ballet in the wide open. I have to say that's one of my favorite experiences with Connecticut Ballet. Being able to be outside, bring your hamper of food, some champagne, and see these gorgeous dancers on stage. It's a it's a thrill, Brett, what you do for the area. It's a thrill what you do for Connecticut Ballet. So what's what's in the future next season? Do we know yet? <laughs> thinking about it. We're not we're not there yet, but we're certainly laying laying plans for it. We're building back. A lot of folks have not been to the theater for years now. And they mm -hmm. have to get back in the habit and, and get excited about it. And That's right. We're going to grow back with them. So we're taking our time. And um, the website is the best place to find out what we're doing and connect with it. And these dancers are helping to spread the message and just the joy of live performance. There's nothing like it, as you know, and your as audience we knows. Know. As we know. Yeah. Brett Raphael, I've just got one more question for you. I need to know from you because you've been at the helm all of these years with this ballet company. What is the most significant thing about what you have done for this area that really stays in your heart and mind? The most significant? Um, just personally. Think, yeah, it's about relating to the children and the intergenerational part of it. Mm -hmm. that all those efforts way, way back stuck and, and made a difference. And now I see children coming in and grandchildren coming in as a result of the touch points that we had many, many years ago. So the work is ongoing, but it does seem to have an impact on the larger community. We're so excited about that. It does. It does yeah. indeed. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people have been touched by it in some way. And that's why I do it. That's of course, I love the ballets themselves and just <laughs> getting the ballets up on stage is a huge process, but something I'm enjoying with the dancers. It's a very special moment in the studios when you hatch a full length ballet and we're hard at work. There are many other dancers involved and uh, wardrobe people and production people. Um, so it's an exciting moment. Um, so please don't miss it. We're not we're not doing a Broadway run. We do we're we're performing once in Stamford, twice in Hartford. So um, put Exciting. it on the calendar, please. Exciting as always. Well, Nicole Federoff and Carla Hernandez, I have to wish you all the best for your performances, and thank you for taking the time to be on center stage. Whether it is Pegasus the Orchestra with pianist Nicholas Namaratze, or Connecticut Ballet with Coppelia. There is much on offer in the month of May. Let's support the arts, ladies and gentlemen. It is our opportunity to lead with beauty. I hope you will go to Center Stage with PamelaCoon.com for more shows like these. And until we meet again, stay safe out there. This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>